0: Now.
1: Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Cover. Usually John does this uh, intro, but uh, he is not able to join us this evening. He is a new grandfather, and he'd rather spend time with his granddaughter than me and our wonderful show. So give him nothing but the best, and big hugs to everybody there. I'm Jeff Ayers, and um, I'm going to try and not let the power of running the show by myself to go to my head, but no promises. I have an absolute thrill tonight. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say one of my favorite authors is Matthew Riley. His novels are intense action thrill rides that if you translated them to film, they would make Die Hard look like My Dinner with Andre. He's a number one international and New York Times bestselling author, and his latest is the fourth in his Jack West Jr. series called The Four Legendary Kingdoms, and it's awesome. Matthew, are you there? I am here. It's great to be oh, here. Oh, wonderful. John. Thank you. It's a thrill and honor oh. to have you on the show. Um, and I promise not to try and geek out too much. Uh, but that, That's perfectly <laughs> so, okay. I love it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Well, John always asks this as a first question, so I'm going to ask you this as well. Talk about your new book, The Four Legendary Kingdoms. Well, The Four, the four Legendary Kingdoms continues
2: the, the series with Jack West Jr., who's like my Indiana Jones on steroids. Uh, and he appeared in the first book, Seven Deadly Wonders, then The Six Sacred Stones, and then The Five Greatest Warriors. Uh, and he thought his world had uh, had settled down after those rather large adventures. Uh, but as this book begins, he basically wakes up in a dark room, finds that his head's been shaven, and then the door springs open and a guy in a bull's mask starts running at him with a knife and he has to fight for his life. And that's like the first ten lines. So... This one starts big and then it just gets out of control as we discover that Jack's been chosen to participate in these old ritual games and the people running them are the, uh, the mysterious four kingdoms who may actually rule the world from the shadows.
1: It, it's big.
0: Hello. Sorry Matthew, you there? We have a little bit of technical yeah. now Fu. No big deal. We're here. Hey, so do me a favor. Hello. For people that are not in that, that don't really know the series very well, can you kind of mm. give them a little idea about who Jack West is? Kind of, you know, bringing him back from book 1 and now kind of up through where they're at now, to kind of have an idea of what they're going to get involved in here in your latest book.
2: What I wanted to do when I, when I created the Jack West character, I wanted to create an Indiana Jones for the present day. And so Jack West is probably best described as a, a super soldier who did a history degree. And so he's a guy who, in Seven Ancient Wonders. He, he had to sort of zoom around the world and find the ruins of the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World and find the golden capstone that sat atop the Great Pyramid of Giza. In Six Sacred Stones and Five Greatest Warriors, he had to go to Stonehenge or Easter Island or look into these sort of large historical figures who are potentially the greatest warriors in history. And So Jack is like an Indiana Jones-type fellow, and he he allows me to explore the strange and weird historical things around the world, like the pyramids or Stonehenge or, or Easter Island, and all three of those I visited. Uh, researching the books. And trust me, they are really, really weird.
1: (laughs) But they're weird in a fun way. When you you created the character, though, did you see it as a series initially, and did you think about starting at the number seven and working backwards in the numbers? Uh, That's a very good question. No. Uh,
2: As with my other series, the Scarecrow series, Ice Station was the first book, and it was designed to stand on its own. And Seven Deadly Wonders was also designed to stand on its own. When I start a book, it's one book. But I enjoyed Seven Wonders so much. I thought, well, I'd like to bring Jack back. And when you write a sequel, you, you want readers to go, oh, this is obviously a sequel to Seven Deadly Wonders. And so I thought, idiot that I am, I thought, let's call it The Six something somethings and so became the six sacred stones and so of course from that moment on every fan of mine around the world said excellent There are going to be seven books in this series so I inadvertently (laughs) sentenced myself to a seven book series but uh, yeah no so uh, originally seven deadly wonders was designed to stand on its own Uh, and to a certain extent the story of six sacred stones and five greatest warriors is tied off with a bow so the good news for The Four Legendary Kingdoms is new readers can jump in on this one, and it will bring them up to speed on what happened before. I felt that was important. But for fans, fans will ultimately get a real progression from Seven one to Six Stones, and Five Warriors.
1: Well, it, reading Four Legendary Kingdoms, and you know I'm a fan, it felt like it was sort of um, you combining all of your books into one ginormous package. <laughs> Could you talk a it, bit about that? I'd,
2: I'd, thought, I'd thought about Four Legendary Kingdoms for a long time, and it's, it's important to remember it's been eight years since the book before it, uh, The Five Greatest Warriors. Uh, what, what had happened in that, that time was I'd, I'd watched, in particular, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially the Avengers. And, and fans have been asking me for a long time, and, and it's a spoiler alert, but you'll, you'll figure it early on in the book, fans have been asking me, could I combine Jack West with the hero of my other series, uh, a marine named Shane Schofield, Scarecrow. And so with the Four Legendary Kingdoms, as, as Jack is kidnapped to participate in these challenges with some other top soldiers of the world, I thought I had the opportunity to do my own little Avengers. Well, big Avengers. And so yes, with the Four Legendary Kingdoms, I did bring in Jack and his gang and Scarecrow and a couple of people from his gang. And the response from fans around the world has been phenomenal. They have loved that I was able to slip Scarecrow and give him quite a considerable role in what is otherwise a a full part of the Jack West Jr. series.
1: It was great, and it was a real challenge. You really want to get that right. Well, and especially because you have everybody in the book and there's only going to be one survivor. (laughs) Not spoiling yes. anything. <laughs> well,
2: well, I'm, I'm hoping when readers uh, meet Scarecrow in the book, I'm hoping they are instantly saying, these guys are eliminating each other, so it's pro- probably going to happen that Jack West and Scarecrow are going to have to fight the death. And again, I, I like to think one of my biggest advantages as a, as an author is I am part of my... Fan base. I go and see the Avengers, and I go and see Age of Ultron, and I just went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy Two. So did you like I'm it? L- I thought it tried hard, but it didn't have the magic of the first one. Oh okay. Um, I it's 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 a tough
1: thing when your first one is that good. Uh, did you enjoy it? Um, I did. I like seeing those characters again, but I thought the second half. Sort of faltered a little bit it's um I'd agree with that I, I think um,
2: in, in a way the, the, the baddies with too much computer generated stuff I didn't feel like there was anything on the screen that was a real danger to our heroes
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, mind you mind you I'm sitting here in my home in LA wearing my Star Lord t-shirt right now so I, I got myself one of the Star Lord uh, you know that t shirt he wears with the alien writing on it, which says Gearship? Yes. Um, I've, <laughs> I'm sitting here wearing my shirt, so uh, I'm still a fan, and I'm sure uh, it, it was really. Sorry to digress from my own work for a moment, but I thought it was really interesting that, spoiler alert, folks, Thanos wasn't in it. Uh, it see, didn't, I don't know where it added to the Marvel Universe, whereas the first one did so much, but I digress. Um, I am a fan of this sort of stuff, so when I set out to write the Matthew Riley crossover of Jack West and Scarecrow, I, I really put some thought into it, and it was really fun when I got to submit it to my publisher, who doesn't get to see any synopsis of the book before I deliver it, and and my publisher read it and went, whoa, wasn't expecting that, and we kept that a secret uh, right up until that book came out, so I was really pleased.
1: That, that was so cool when I got to that scene. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> uh, now, you, one of the things I love about your books also is you utilize drawings for layouts and maps. And you're yes. sort of grounding the reader in the scene that's about to follow. Um, do you, when you're creating your scenes, do you start with the drawing or do you put the drawing in effort? Uh
2: I start with the drawing. Uh, it's uh, It's become something that's become quite important to me. Uh, that I need to see the area before I write about it. And so say with something like Four Kingdoms, which is a really good example of it, uh, there are lots of, you know, there are these various challenges that Jack has to do and they involve, you know, mazes which flood with water or high bridges or um, sort of large cliffside roads. I drew every single one of those before I wrote the scene and it's so helpful for me because once I've drawn the environment, then all I have to do is just put the picture next to my computer and write the scene. Uh so it's funny, for those who have read my books all the way back from ice station and area seven and contest all the way through to these new books, uh the diagrams have become more complex. In the original books they were deliberately very basic because I always wanted the reader to picture the environment for themselves. But the Jack West series you know, these are large, underground, complex chambers and structures. And so the diagrams have had to become a little bit more um, realistic. So I do a sketch, and when I deliver the book, I have my drawings, and then we get a professional artist to redo them. But they're essentially
1: what I, what I drew. Oh, that, that is so cool. Yeah. Um, a, a I picture, know that
2: a picture, a picture tells a thousand words, and a thousand words is three pages of a novel. So, I want to get people reading fast. So,
1: a picture tells a thousand words. Uh, it's absolutely true, especially in your work here. Um, yeah, and I know that if I tried to draw something, the manufacturers of the game Pictionary have a restraining order against me. So, I love <laughs> always seeing good good art. <laughs> um, yeah. So. All the el- you are the master of an action book, absolutely hands down. You are the master. What elements do you put in play to make the action scene work so well?
2: Uh, it has to be. It, it has to be dangerous. It has to be wild. Uh, it's funny. I used to have a publisher uh, who said, "Can you ground? Can you ground all your stuff more in reality, more like Tom Clancy?" And I said. No. I, I want my stuff to be wild. I, I want it to be at the edge of that James Bond level of believability. You know, where, where James Bond will do something like jump from one moving train to another. You know, that sort of stuff. That's what I want. Or, or, you know, jump from a moving plane to another, uh, which I had William Race do in Temple. But the ultimate thing that has to be in the action scenes in all of my books, and especially In four kingdoms is you've got to care about the characters it's as simple as that you'd be amazed Jeff I get sent books to do a cover quote for and they just have these they have these action scenes very early in the book and I don't care about the character and if you if you say see four kingdoms you know the first challenge Jack faces is a, a maze with a, a wire mesh on top of it, and it's flooding. Now, unless you care about Jack, it doesn't matter. Um, in a later challenge, he has to be handcuffed to his, his friend Sky Monster, you know, his pilot. And he turns up to this challenge, handcuffed to his pilot. He's a little bit chubby. He's a little overweight. He's not very fit. And he sees all the other champions in the challenge. They've all got small or fit partners. It's like they knew what was happening in advance. And so suddenly, Jack's at one, he's at a disadvantage. Two, he's like that dream you have where you turn up to school and everybody else knew there was a test and you didn't, which is something everybody can relate to. And then once the challenge begins, his friend is sweating and huffing and puffing. And he says, you know, leave me behind. I'm slowing you down. And if I slow you down, you die as well. And suddenly, Jack's not just in this strange, wild challenge with minotaurs and elephants, you know, charging at him and falling off cliffs and stuff. Suddenly, it actually has meaning about Jack and his overweight friend. And to me, one of the things I've been so pleased to see Four Kingdoms get such a a wonderful response, that's the secret source in the Four Legendary Kingdoms. If you look at every single challenge... There is some emotional element that I ask the reader to care. So I can do car chases, I can do helicopter chases, I can blow up aircraft carriers, but if you don't care about the people there and the danger is not real, then it's not an action scene.
1: Sorry, that was a long answer. Oh, no, no, that's fantastic. (laughs) And uh, I was uh, flashing back to a scene in one of your books where you have a a semi-truck crash into a Harrier jet, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) But yeah. the thing that works for Jack West, and I loved especially in this book, is he's got a moral code. He watches people around him not care about anything, mm. except, and he has to win to keep everybody alive, including himself. But at the same time, he has his moral code, and there's certain things he's not going to do. Yes. And that's so uh, I love that. It's um, it's it's a. Uh...
2: Uh, This actually is something I I thought about going right back to the very first book, Contest, you know, with Stephen Swain fighting aliens in the New York Library, uh, an ice station. And it's it's a little sort of heroic conundrum that I thought about when I was in my teens. And the conundrum was, if someone you loved was in the water, uh, you know, off a boat, and there was a shark in the water, would you jump in and save them? And it's funny how Jack's code and the code of these heroes, and you might remember way back in Ice Station, there is a scene where the little girl falls into the pool and there's a killer whale charging at her and Scarecrow jumps into the water in between her and the killer whale. Uh, so I literally did that in Ice Station. And to me, I think we as readers love heroes. And we love to say as we read this book, would I do that? You know, Jack West, it's, it's the easy way out would be to accept it and to compromise his values. But he says, no, I won't do that. Um, and actually, as, a, as an aside, it's funny with Four Kingdoms. I gave myself eight years after Five Warriors because I needed to refresh my brain for the Jack West world. And Four Kingdoms really reflects... I think and I didn't know it when I was writing at the time but now I do it reflects a lot of what we see in the world today where I do think wealth inequality is growing that the rich are a lot lot richer and everybody else is being left behind and these four kingdoms these wealthy people who watch jack competing they've literally put themselves on a pedestal and said we're better than all of you and so there's a real um i think real world uh reflection in the four legendary kingdoms of the rich have become so distant they don't even care about the regular person and jack west is like the emblem of the regular people of the world
1: i i would completely agree with that yeah absolutely it was it wasn't
2: It wasn't conscious. It wasn't something I set out to write, but it worked completely. And a good analogy is one of my favorite movies. And here in my office, I've got an original 1988 poster for Die Hard. I think Die Hard is a wonderful action movie. But if you look at it closely, you've got Bruce Willis, working class cop, wearing his singlet for the the duration of the movie up against Hans Gruber, a wealthy German guy who's wearing this designer John Phillips suit trying to steal $600 million in bearer bonds. Die Hard is, a, is literally a fight between the working class man and a, a rich, you
1: know, not very nice villain. Oh, that's, that's a cool way of looking at it. it took me a while. And, to and that, that is one of so my favorite that. movies, too. Ah!
2: And you know, I li- living in Los Angeles, if I can always drive home down Olympic Boulevard, I do because when you drive down Olympic, that's the actual shot that Bruce Willis it- has of looking up at Nakatomi Plaza when he arrives at the very very start of the movie. Every time I'll always Re- take Olympic.
0: Real quick, Matthew, I had to jump in because I work in Century City, I see that building every day. I think it's great and I tell people, "Hey, that's Nakatomi Tower. That shit got blown up 30 years ago." So, uh, I, I I'm, go I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work in I work in the towers. I work in, you know, the towers down in Century City and I walk outside yeah. and I'm like, Oh, there's Nakatomi. I remember when that got blown up and then I sit there and I'm looking and I'm like, Okay, this is the street they came up and then I'm like, he must have been down, you know, Olympic and Sepulveda at that seven eleven down there when he had that That's shot right. straight at the building right. when the cop came out with the Twinkies. Oh, I think about that That's shit all the time. Right. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great I, you have okay. to next time right.
2: you're in next time you're in LA, you gotta go to Amoeba Records. Uh Love Amoeba know?
0: Love Amoeba. So okay. you go
2: to Amoeba and they've got a diehard box set. Uh, unfortunately you also get the fifth movie, but don't worry about that. Because you get <laughs> yeah, the box set it. and it comes with a one foot tall die hard building. It's sitting on my desk right now. I have it, it's a, it's Nakatomi Plaza and it's like 15 inches tall and you know you get the DVDs in the bottom but I saw it and I just said I'm getting that
1: right away go to Amoeba Records if you like the diehard building have
2: it on your own desk
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool I'm going to have to do that I wonder it's if I can get awesome. that online I, 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 I'm, I'm sure you can I'll take a look that's cool yeah uh, you mentioned Contest earlier, and I'm wondering if you could mm. tell the story of writing Contest and mm. how you went from being self-published to um, getting a book deal. Uh, it's,
2: um, so I wrote Contest when I was 19 and 20. Um, as I mentioned, it's about a guy who's brought to the New York Public Library, probably the doors and windows have been sealed, and placed in the building with him are six of the most lethal aliens in the universe. He's been chosen to represent humanity in a contest held once every thousand years. Um, I sent the book to all the major publishers in Sydney, Australia, where I was living at the time. They all rejected it. Uh, I even got a photocopied rejection letter from one publishing house. Uh, I felt the book had the goods. So I got a loan from the bank uh, and printed a thousand copies and self-published it, gave it a good splashy cover, put his electrifying thriller across the bottom of the cover and I went to bookstores and I'd say, can I speak to the manager? Hi, my name's Matthew Riley. This is my book contest. Um, I think it's a really fast-paced action thriller. Would you like to put it on the shelves? About two-thirds said yes. About one-third slammed the door in my face. Uh, It was a utterly soul-destroying experience. But, into one of those stores, walked the commissioning editor from Pam Macmillan, publisher that had rejected the manuscript. She bought Contest, read it, rang up the number on the copyright page, which is still my parents' own phone number, and she asked to speak to me. And she said, what else are you working on? I'm not after somebody who writes one book. I'm after someone who writes two, three, or four books. And at that stage, uh, I was 50 pages into Ice Station and it was on the basis of those 50 pages that she signed me up. Um, interestingly, those self-published copies of Contest, they now pop up on eBay, where they sell for about 2,000 uh, bucks. Occasionally, I'd donate one to like a charity dinner, uh, where they go for even more. So only 1,000 were done. Um, I look back on it now. No other publishers called me. It was a total long shot, but that's how I got discovered,
1: yeah. Oh, that is fantastic! Um, it yeah. Since since this happened in Australia, you're now yes. in LA. Um, when are we going to see some uh, of your awesome stuff on the bigger, yeah. small screen? Well, this is this is part of the reason I I moved to Los Angeles to be closer
2: to the movie world because hey hey I love it. Um, I've had quite a few false starts uh, with movie versions of my books. Um, and not for want of trying. Paramount optioned Ice Station. Uh, they got a good script, but a new regime came in, and so they ditched it. Disney had Hovercar Racer for about eight years, and they they got seven screenplays done and never made it. Um, seven. The Seven Wonders series uh, is at Fox at the moment, so my fingers are crossed. But the one which is... Uh, hopefully closest to getting made is the great zoo of China, which was like my Jurassic park with dragons. Uh, I love that book. Sony. Yeah. It's, it's just wild. That's just me, <laughs> you know, off the leash going completely nuts. And, um, you know, it, and the, the problem that I have is, as, as we said, right at the start, I'm blowing up aircraft carriers. I'm having people move from one moving plane to another. To make that into a movie requires about $150 million. And a lot of people don't realise is that Hollywood studios don't make that many blockbuster action movies a year. They only make about 10 of them. And Disney make about seven of those um, because Disney is Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar. Uh, So I play at the deep end of the swimming pool and that's why you get these sort of false starts. That's why I paramount didn't go ahead with ice station it's expensive the great zoo of china is at sony and it's jumped through a few flaming hoops they got a good rider and it's gone out to a direct couple of directors so these are all good signs but if the executives at sony get fired tomorrow then great zoo might get you know get thrown into the garbage can if they leave so so this is why I'm in town and I've got I've actually got a meeting tomorrow uh, at one of the studios Uh, About Ice Station again. And I believe, yeah, well, I believe that the place for books right now, in addition to feature films, is Netflix, it's HBO, it's Amazon. And we're just seeing fantastic television, and we have Game of Thrones to thank for it. So I go to this meeting tomorrow with the notion of Ice Station maybe as a six or seven part TV show. Wow.
1: Well, so the short answer to your question is either. I'm trying,
2: but. <laughs> yeah, me too.
1: Me too. Have them call me and I'll uh, convince them. <laughs> I, you know, I, I sure wish
2: I've sold eight million books around the world. I love doing book signings and events because I get to meet people who read my words. Uh, a film or a TV show would be phenomenal. Um, but in my head, it would be phenomenal because it would, it would really be a big advertisement for the books and get, get people introduced to the books. And as, as you can probably gather,
1: I, I just like showing people a good time. Oh, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we have um, come to the end of our show. I could talk to you all night. Um, <laughs> so we can find you online at uh, MatthewReilly.com. And yes. I encourage all of our listeners... Go to Amazon now or run to your local bookstore and pick up Four Legendary Kingdoms and every other book that uh, Matthew has written because he is wonderful. And, Matthew, it has been wonderful chatting with you and a thrill. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with us tonight. Jeff, thank you, and thank you just for enjoying it. All right. Well, we will be back in a couple weeks. Thanks to everybody, and thanks, John, for uh, producing Behind the Scenes. And uh, it's it's been great. Good night, everybody.